Well, thanks as always, Ken, and uh, welcome back, Joshua. How are you, my friend? I am good. All right. You can hear me, right? Yep. You sound um, good. You look good. Cool. Uh, clean service, so I think we're off to the races. Yeah, I'm parked out on the back patio today, so. Nice. Nice. So, uh, I forget where we left off because I had to hop off early last week. So, yeah. Uh, I Start up with where where we you left off with Ken. Um, you know we got through, essentially we got through all the, uh, the soil horizons and like essentially the layering and the mechanical, how we put it all together, um, and we got right up basically to Frank's garden, I think, uh, or rather I showed you Frank's, but if we revisit Frank's, I had a couple things I would want to point out about it with the with more time and then we can just, I think it was tech that we left off with. So okay. if, uh, Ken, you're the man, if you'd roll that beautiful bud footage, um, let's go back to Frank's garden, just the original one. Yeah. So, um, let's see this today was, Oh, I think I wrote this down. It's 64 days from seed, right? So like, again, 64 days from putting the rock, the gravel, or I mean, the you know, the gravel, the sand in, uh, the A horizon, hydrating that, and uh, Layton's awesome O horizon, which I swear is, you know, at least a third of the equation, right? For sure. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's 64 days ago. If we just kind of pick through them, I don't, there's no, uh, the blue mats I'll talk to you guys about. This was right when I went to his garden, um, this was last Thursday or last, uh, I forget it was, this was last week. So I have an updated picture of this. I sent you today, Ken. Um, and then that stock on the next picture. So again, I mean, this is, this wasn't even 64 days. This would have been, I don't know, uh, 56 days or something like that from seed, you know, not a clone, nothing. I mean, so it's just, the branching on it, the, the stock, like I, I said, I forgot to put a Bic lighter to it, but it would have, it's, it's about a Bic and a half thick. It's insane. Um, and green, you know, so, uh, the power of biology, like we say, but also without doing the foreground chemistry testing, um, you know, we're knocking on wood a little bit and we'll maybe like convince some testing, after the fact and see if we need to like balance some things like that. But there's also worms in his pot, which if you guys know me enough, I, I worms are like my little ninjas, right? They're the things that are definitely working in my garden. Um, but like I'll talk about in my garden, oftentimes my uh, success and demise comes in my cover crop and my ability to manage it be a, because it's my worms food and also the you know it could potentially be the trap crop or the banker crop it can you know it's it's a lot of things when you overgrow your cover crop but um and you can see so we're in those pots like it's a little bit it's the only the only challenge i'm having well there's a couple but i've spoke on this before frank's in the 20 gallon pots versus my experience in the in the grassroots living beds right like we had tyler on so i love that this is just right after that um, but Frank's in 20 gallon pots. And I know that we all kind of have that same, 
will this work right that whole like how how long will it work 20 gallons like you know the idea is it it it, it should be just the same but i know that there's way more buffering going on in the beds but there's also trade-offs frank's in a tent inside of a room in his house right my beds are in a in a room outside um so it's just one of those things a four by two can come through a door but a four by four is not coming through a door once you build it up with these horizons we're married to it right like there's something going on that we're like i've started something i don't want to ever dismantle again um but leighton you've been with me since the beginning and you know like i had to tear mine apart for those damn mice so it's not the end of the world you just the biology's still there you put things back together and you you know just move on with life um but anyway so yeah you saw that basketball sized leaf i i I wish we had like put a tape measure on that, but that thing is just, again, that was a 55 day old leaf with all the fingers, you know, what is it? 11 on there. Yeah. That's pretty bad. We talked about hormones. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 fingers on that thing. Um, and that's his couch, you know, so that's on a couch cushion, by the way, for reference for everyone. It's just like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> like, what do you say about that? So, Rock say, on, man. You say genetic potential. That's what you say. Yeah, dude. I know there's a little bit of leaf uh, discoloration on some of the tip, but also this is his first cycle, right? Again, that's 55 days in. We're talking about soil that's supposed to mature and regenerate. And um, so I'm, I'm going with it. And Frank is, you know, Frank's like my Kyle. He's just like, he's like, are you sure that he's like, are the worms going to know my plants want a fuck ton of phosphorus pretty soon? I'm like, Dude, they just do it, man. I don't I don't feed my plants anything, but but I did want to tell him like too. Also, I'm years in, and so that's where I sent you another email. Um, we don't have to pull it. Well, actually, can we pull up uh, the one I sent you today? Uh, the double OG Kim Ken. Because I sure, wanted to point, sure he'll dig it up. I wanted to point out a couple of things. Co um as a rundown while you're while you're digging, the I started this plant from seed in so there it is yeah this is the original mom i started it from seed in the four by four bed right so i clone i took a clone off of her um which my cloning is one of those things that you know i'm, I'm working on because i'm only in the living soil i don't use like a cloner or any cubes or anything anymore um so my my success is pretty low it's like 10 5 10 percent on clones which is unfortunate i've got to get that better um, and I only say that I can't just plug them right into the ground because roly polies will eat them. That's the thing. So it's like I have to shelter them and, and nurse them. And I'm not always successful with that. But yeah, so you're zooming in on what I wanted to show you. Um, mom, original mom, this was the, the size of her stock. And we're probably, I don't know, 50 days into flower if I had to guess it on the photo. But it, 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 you can tell a lot about a genetic when you grow it two or three times, right? And especially in two or three locations. This one, I had already cleaned up all the lowers, but she just started throwing this, you know, I was calling it cactus fruit down here because it was like these little pom-poms, but they sugared up and everything. So well below the canopy, you have a plant that was setting nice trikes with lower lighting and not every genetic can do that. So it's just important to see. I'm like, you're there's a good two feet right there of the top of the plant to the very bottom. Um, and then I think I, I forget if I sent you the picture of this stock, Ken, 
on the next one after I had harvested her. Yeah, so that's her. If you really want to zoom in, the fruit ended up nice. It was, you know, she, so it's just one of those things that it can tell you a lot about this plant. So I cloned her. I nursed it along. So obviously that was the four by four inside. Um, I nursed it along. I'm like, cool. I want her in the greenhouse this year. So I put her in the bottomless pots um, that I'll talk again about. And she went in the greenhouse. So what, what else did I send you on this one? Okay. I don't have very good ones of the greenhouse, but the greenhouse is my youngest bed. The four by two is my oldest bed. The four by four, the middle, right? Um, the greenhouse grew the smallest stalk. She was a clone. But what you're looking at here is a clone from the greenhouse, right? So, and, and she's putting off way more weight, way thicker stock. This is today. Um, that's easily a three by three canopy. Uh, so on my oldest bed, you know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying? My, she's doing best on my oldest bed. She did fine in the four by two, clearly. The greenhouse, she's like, hey, I'm going, but... It's just like, it's amazing to kind of tell, like, this is, you know, clones, it's the exact same genetic, right? Um, it's the same plant. So it's just how she's performing in different environments, so to speak, because that's in the same room. The four by four is right behind her. She literally was grown originally two feet behind where she is now. Um, so, but environmentally like you know i forget the the month or you know there might have been minor conditional changes or something like that but it just goes to show that the maturation of this uh process of the layering and letting biology get to work and do the work it's like you know uh i i didn't send you anything from the very first grow from this bed but it's like it, it wasn't that you know what i mean it just wasn't there um so it's neat to see how it goes. And then, uh, so yeah, will you, can we go to tech, Ken? The, uh, just the original, I, I guess, I forget how I did them, tech one, two, three, or whatever. If so we just why are you using cloning gels and stuff when you're, when you're, no, cloning? I have a, a aloe, you know, and I've, I've started to play with honey, but like, so here's the thing to give a little backstory. I used to get nine day roots. Uh, I've never used rooting gel. So just to be clear, like I like to pat myself on the back about two things. I've never used cow mag and I've never used rooting gel. <laughs> so, but uh, the only because like it is all hormones and stuff. But if you look at the package, it's like, don't flush it down your toilet. Don't rinse it down the drain. It's like anything that's like that, man. I'm just like, I don't want it anywhere near my cabinet or nothing. You know, I just, so aloe, which we all know is, is pretty much pure gibberellic acid. I believe um, it's, it's all growing hormones. Uh, so aloe gel, a lot of times some places will sell as a, a rooting hormone, but I just have aloe in the greenhouse and I always have, but I used to get nine day roots when I would use those cocoa plugs, right? The little cocoa, I think they're cocoa peat, maybe amalgamation, but cocoa plugs um, that everyone uses for rooting. I've used rock wool too, but I would just take my, you know, cut plant and literally take my aloe and just run it down the stem of a freshly cut aloe leaf, if you yep. will. Um, and then put that right in my cocoa and in my dome. And in nine days I would get, you know, roots up here so i started doing that i mean that was for years right i'm like i know how to clone the plants i get what i was you know i'd have my sea of green going 
up here. And again, I, I think it's just because fungi is way more omnipresent up here than where I was in Phoenix, right? It's just less arid and less hot. I'm on a jungle in the riparian. Um, so I, I do everything that I used to do by day three under the dome, I'm getting brown rot right in the middle at the Maristem. Um, and so I'm Googling, I scoured the internet and I couldn't find anyone that else had this, uh, you know, fail rate going on other than one guy on some deep forums way back in the day that said, you know, he would take thousands of clones a year. And he only had this happen once and it was a virus, probably like Pythium more likely or something, a Fusarium, right? Um, but my my only success has come without dome. Like I can't put a humidity dome over anything up here to clone. It will rot. That's did in you, my... Did you try any of the rejuvenate, I think? Not for cloning yet. No, I not. I haven't thought about it for that. Dude, there you go. That's going to solve your problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like perfect medium to root in but and and my only success though is if i don't put the dome over it like i'll put it in a solo cup or whatever to root it in and just water it like a house plant you know um and and it takes three and a half weeks and i get roots and i you know finally the plant starts to veg uh, so i'm not in, i'm not in, in you know trying to uh, suggest that you use just rejuvenate i'm suggesting that you do whatever your normal uh, matrix is under the dome. Uh huh. But take some rejuvenate, mix it with liquid. Um, not you want to make it more of like an extract, not a not a tea. You don't want it really gotcha. really diluted, but something that's nice and concentrated. And you apply that to your whatever your media is under the dome. Uh -huh. I think I think you're going to be fine because uh, you know everything that we understand about the deep diving hole of uh, converting pathogens into mutualists um, suggests that in a very well-balanced biological system that these guys do not become problems because if they do become a problem, they're going to be consumed. So they've learned as a evolutionary niche to convert to something that is not harmful and therefore take the bullseye off their forehead. And we got into this pretty deep with uh, Dr. James White at one point. Yeah, I remember that was a good episode. Yeah, yeah. So, so, dude, why don't you try that? Because I mean, if you can, if you can get back to that seven-day rooting system, right? That saves you how many weeks? Oh yeah, no, and that's the thing; it's a pain in the ass. So, but you hit on it. I, I, I haven't rooted. I haven't. I basically stopped trying to clone anything for two years. I'm like, I can't do it up here under the. Um, and then, so just watching people having beginner's luck by cutting plants and sticking them in soil. And me remembering I've had plenty of luck like that and even rooted cannabis just in water, right? Like you just cut it and you forget about it. And it's like two weeks later, there's roots on it. Um, I have not gone back to it with either using fish brew. I know because I know Kyle, um, uh, sorry, excuse me. Keith has mentioned he takes cuttings and he's talked to me about this uh, with taking cuttings specifically. But he also owns the company, right? So I'm like, you got a little more medium than me, bro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He was applying it pretty liberally, um, but it's just one of those, I haven't, no, to answer your question, I haven't gone back to it with biology, which is kind of where I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, maybe that is the the one, two punch, right? Is kind of like, because I am having success, like I said, it's just low success. And if you, if you saw how I had that plant sitting in a four inch cup in the bed, right? Did you see that? Or 
I don't know if uh, if you, but the four inch cup was a, a regular four inch plastic cup. But the reason it's there is because, like I said, the roly polies, the wood louse. Yep. If I stick a clone right in there, they're going to munch it right up. So what I have to do is rake out a four inch area free of roly polies, right? And just stick that pot there, bottomless pot as a little halo or whatever, a little a border that they can't crawl over. Because otherwise I'm doomed. And it's funny, once the plants get up in their veg and everything's touching, then like, fine, there's, they can take some, you know, a little grazing. But it's, uh, it's like when they're in that infancy, uh, man, I have to be super careful with the cover crop. I'm like, some grass will be touching my clone and all of a sudden it's getting mowed down. I'm like, no, what are you doing? So, um, but the other issue I've had with this, uh, this, I don't have any tech to support this. So it's just worth talking about. The, the only other real issue I've come um, uh, come across, and I've, I've talked to you, Leighton, about this. I talked to uh, Joshua Steensland, uh, thankfully, and I said I was going to shout him out because he does some really cool indoor raised bed no-till stuff, too. Um, and he's very low-tech low like me, you know. Yeah, Josh is an OG, man. That guy is yeah. It, right. And he comes from such an, uh, a cultivator's background. So he knows what he's talking about. And it's just, but he's so low tech and Fukuosa esque as he puts it like, mm -hmm. like myself, I'm just like, look, just put the work in and, and let nature do it for you. Like, um, but is the, uh, is sexing plants. So I've done this a few ways. Like I'm either, I, I the solution and, and Joshua thankfully was kind of like alluding to this and I was aware of it. I just haven't done it is the leaf sex testing. I think for me, um, because here's the scenario, right? I have this raised bed, no till I don't want to like even put a four inch pot in hardly. Sometimes I try to get, if I have to get a clone from a buddy, I've asked him for just the cube, right. Or just the, just the cocoa. I'm like, can I get just the roots? I don't even want to dig a four inch hole. Um, because once you, once these systems are that mature, you, you put your two fingers in it and you see, you're like, Oh, okay, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, it's not hard to like, you know, create chaos. Um, so the bottomless pots are clutch, which of course we've talked about. And, uh, and I want to show you later too, but plants don't typically sex themselves for a month and a half or two months. Right. If, if they're just under a veg cycle. Um, and so feminized seed, fine, you know, they're females, but if I'm growing regular seed, which oftentimes I do, uh, and I'm not making seed, it's like, now I don't want the males. So if I don't know right off the bat, which plant to put in the bed right then I either lose half my canopy, which I've done, right. Cause I veg everyone out and I'm like, Oh, it's a male gotta go. And it's half my canopy. Right. And it's like, damn, now I'm now I've lost half my bud too, pretty much, or just veg longer or something. And it's like, um, but the alternative is like I did with the greenhouse. I veg things out in these bottomless pots, but they're only one gallon. And I, I talked at length with Tyler about this too. So I've, I've scratched my head on maybe what I want are uh, just regular living soil pots for the males. And I know that they're males, so they can just be in a larger pot in the tent um, because the leaf sex testing, right? Um, for those that aren't aware, you, they're, you know, they can test a cotyledon on your cannabis plants and tell you if it's male, female, or hermaphrodite with, you know, well above 90% accuracy. I don't know of all companies being the same. And also I'm, I've never done this before, but this is what appeals to me. Although your $10 seed now becomes a $25 seed because it's 15 bucks a sample, right? 
So, but imagine the, the, that $15 is going to get spent if I'm vegging and feeding a plant too, that's not in a bottomless system, right? Or a, uh, basically, um, can, can we, can we pull up the tech, the one with the bottomless pots in the lights or, or in the tent rather just to, yeah, like that. So when they're like this, I'm having to not feed them, but thank God you sent me, um, the muncher juice, right? The, the, the cannabis juice, yep. <laughs> um, because I think the cannabis responded well to it. Uh, and I have another thing I wanted to tell you about it too. Um, but I think the cannabis responded well to it, but again, these are bottomless one gallon pots that you're trying to veg something for a month and a half, two months before it shows you sex, right? Oh, right there. Look on that one you're zoomed in on. That's the double OG chem in the greenhouse, the little two liter. That two liter, uh, yeah, that double header. That's funny. That's just, I don't know. Sorry, squirrel sidetrack. But that's, that's the double OG chem uh, clone that I'm telling you about that I got right there. She was, so that's my success that I then recloned and now she's in the four by two on day 42 ish or whatever. Um, anyway, but yeah, you can see a little yellowing going on on that plant behind there, right? Like it's not, it's not, this wouldn't happen at all if these plants were just set right into the beds. You know what I mean? And if I was like able to circumvent that entire nursery process, if you will, um, that to me is worth 15 bucks. If I can get my girl right where I want, right at the right start, right? And it's like, cool. So I've got the plant I want in the place I want at the time I want. That's, that's, you know, 15 bucks is definitely like, that's kind of a, a breaker almost like, you know, 25 bucks. I'm like, dude, that's too rich for my blood. I'll just go through my, um, but this is one of those clashes of, this isn't new school tech, but when we're putting it indoors in these systems, right. It's not like I can just take a plant and move it here and there anymore. So that's, that's one of the trade-offs I've come by. Um, and now with Frank and he, he's got in, he's in 20 gallon pots, but we had one male um, and one Herm that we had to get rid of. Right. He, we were thankfully able to shuffle the pots around, which in a 20 gallon horizon is still heavy. Um, but it's just to be considered, right? Anyone that's doing this type of system or no-till at all, um, you can either go with photo or auto photo, or, I mean, uh, photo femmes or auto femmes. But like, if you don't know if it's a female, there's a trade-off where you're going to, you're going to trade it one way or another. You're going to trade the time and the resources and, and the potential drawbacks of like, you might fuck up while you're in the nursery. And it's a good chance because that was the weakest part of my grow. I had to water every day once they were like just before going in the greenhouse, you know. Um, so I talked to Tyler about this. And I think yeah. that it's important that people that are doing tents and pots take this into consideration. And that is to put four handles on the pots, not two. Right. I heard that. Yeah. It would, be, it would be easy. Yeah. You can slip sticks in there and easily pick it up without affecting the plant itself uh, right way, way easier to manage so and jostling the horizon around yeah yeah because you, you don't want to like tip the pie you don't you know if you pull up too hard you know it starts to collapse on, on the plant itself and so yeah, yeah there's there's definitely a better way to do that if you are in that situation where you are going from seed if you're fam it's not an issue yeah, or clone, right? If you're in clone form, then then that's fine too. But then again, we go back to like where I 
am lacking in the clone department currently. So it's like, I'll get there and I'm not worried about it, but I'm also interested in potentially breeding. And it's like, I don't want to just open pollinate my room. I would rather again, know that I've got males one through three or whatever, and I can selectively pollinate females one through four or whatever, you know what I mean? And be a little more meticulous with my process. Yep. Um, so if you pull up that picture again, Ken, I wanted to um, just reiterate the, the, the dual use. And basically for me, adversity is my best teacher and it always has been. And I've just, I've learned to embrace that, right? Adversity creates genius and prosperity conceals it oftentimes it seems. Um, so what I needed was a better light. I jumped on Amazon and again, I'm not trying to throw a plug, but this hundred dollar set of six lights right here um, was exactly as advertised. I was able to test it with my par meter and uh, electric like kilowatt, um, and just everything they were advertising, it was exactly what it said. So uh, I was able to test my friend's light before I purchased mine is what I'm sorry, sorry, trying to say. And um, so anyway, and when they're stacked together like this, just so everyone is curious, the light was advertised at 200, U uh, 200 par, I believe it was, uh, um, not 200 U mole, 200 par at eight inches below the light. And so, you know, I put the par meter on there and sure enough I'm like okay cool good enough for me but when they're stacked together like that those plants were actually getting between four to six hundred par so that's pretty acceptable veg light for sure uh in a tent this is a four by two tent more or less um so then if you went to that next one ken that with the greenhouse you had up where i had these same lights uh so now these are over the bottomless pots which i don't know maybe we can't see those in there but these are probably a month vegged in. Yeah, you can kind of see the bottomless pot in there. The cover crop is starting to die back because the canopy is getting thick. Um, but, and that actually, that one you just circled is the double OG chem again. The one right here in the front is the CBG. Um, and all my CBGs have been tricots, which interestingly enough is super cool. So monocot for people that don't know is like grasses. Like it sends up one little thing from the seed, one blade dicots or two like they always have like you know cannabis is generally a dicot it pops out two little things from its uh seed coat and then uh tricot is a three cotyledon where it has three and it looked like you know like the mercedes benz or something it was really cool and it grew as a tricot i was like oh this is super awesome so anyway those same six lights you know like all i was doing in my greenhouse now i'm not looking for uh, major par. We're in the greenhouse. I've got major par. I've got sun. But what I didn't have, because I didn't put my greenhouse here, it was there when I bought the house, was placement. What There's a giant pine tree there and it's like, cool, so at one o'clock it's getting shade. Cool for maybe I don't know what the guy was growing, but it's like my cannabis wants a little more well, maybe I'm exaggerating with one o'clock but um, the lights are there for supplemental. So what I had on the timer rather than them being on all day, because that would be more or less wasting electricity, um, it would have surely added some light. But uh, I had them on maybe an hour or so after dark, uh, and then about 45 minutes before lights came on, or before sunup, you know. So just so that there was a interrupted 12-hour cycle. I made sure that they didn't have 12 hours of dark, basically, is what I was doing. Um, cause that's, what's important about your cannabis, right? You, you, you have to have the dark cycle. And if you interrupt that, 
unideally I could have done that right in the middle of the light, but that also or night, but that might have upset my neighbors too, you know, just like ding for <laughs> what the hell's going on over there? Uh and they all knew what the hell was going on over there later on. They're all like, Man, I can smell your greenhouse nice, man. Like, harvest yet? Uh I'm like, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's that was the that was the one thing I think those in tech folder, I forget what else I had in there, Ken. I don't mind if we poke through. Like I said, I knew I had stuff I wanted to say, but um oh so there we go, the tent. As soon as the as soon as my plants go in the greenhouse, um, I had some auto flowers that were in the greenhouse because they were a little more easy for preseason. Although that was the first time I did auto flowers. And so now I know I didn't quite give them all the justice. First of all, I gave them the preseason lighting outside and the preseason weather. So they gave me what I was giving them. Um, but nonetheless, the idea was I was trying to give myself a little extra season or extension uh, but the, the, nothing is ever not used, right? I'll, I'll, and, and also everything has more than one purpose. So the greenhouse, uh, or sorry, the veg tent, which my buddy, uh, bless his heart gave me. And I thank him so much for this thing because it's been so helpful. I haven't had to buy one and I probably wouldn't have bought one either. I don't know what else, what I would have evolved to, but, um, you know, this is my veg tent a few months out of the year and then it's my drying tent a couple months out of the year or whatever. And, um, most of the time it's a veg tent, but it remains, uh, what do you call it? Um, in motion. Yeah. In motion and, and the ability to be flex. So I won't put a living soil bed in there because then I'd be like, well, now I can't move the bed because you know what I mean? Yep. So it, it remains like a, 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 a cycling thing. It, it takes what it needs. Um, was that everything in that first one, tech one or, but yeah, the, the, the tent is a perfect drying thing, a drying, um, so the tent is in my room with my beds and last year, unfortunately it was so dumb. Uh, I cooled the whole room to 60 degrees cause that's what I can do. And when you harvest around October, it's, it's like 60 degrees here, 50 degrees. Now we're getting in the thirties, uh, or not thirties yet. Um, forties at uh, night, it's like eighties in the day, but, um, it's like perfect drying temps anyway. And the humidity in the morning's perfect. So having them inside of a tent with a fan that blows rather pulls air in. So you get positive pressure ventilation, to me, I hit that 60-60 sweet spot all the time, 60 uh, um, degrees Fahrenheit and 60% relative humidity uh, for drying, slowly drying and, and curing cannabis as well. Actually, if you can pull that picture back up, Ken, the, the tent, pretty please. <laughs> You'll see the Grove bag on that shelf in there. What is that, your cure bag? Yeah, so I know you guys have talked about these before, and actually some are coming today. Um, if you're going to buy them, because again, I don't like to shout out brands. I like to shout out products, but this is, somebody also let me try these for free. I did not buy them, but now I am buying them because I've used them for years. I've used that very bag for years. So while the company, I don't know, I'm sure they want you to reuse them every year. They say right on the bag for best results, heat seal. So I'm guessing they want you to, you know, buy it and bust it open or whatever, or, uh, you know, but anyway, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm like, 
looked like it was going to work just fine. And every time I throw a little hygrometer in there, uh, not the cheapy ones, but I have some digital ones that I'll throw in there uh, and they're nailed every time. So now I don't even put the hygrometer in there. I just know that when I get my buds to feeling crispy uh, and this is my rep, my remedy. Um, and I'll, also I'm kind of explaining this backwards, but in the other tech, I think I have the bud washing picture. I, I don't whole plant harvest in the way that like chop the, the bottom of the plant and hang the whole plant. I wish I could in one hand, uh, but also I bud wash and I can't bud wash effectively the whole plant like that. So, um, but I don't think I lose much in drying. Most of my dries get to be nine or 10 days, you know, so I don't get the 14 days, but like, okay, cool. No one's ever said my weed's not terpy. So I'm, you know, and I'm the one that smokes it mostly. So I don't care. Like, I think, uh, I get 10 day dries with what I do, um, by sectioning the, the plant out right like that. So here's in the greenhouse, you see a baker's rack. I just kind of propped it up there against my canopy trellis. The sections I cut out are about as big as a five gallon bucket because that's what I'm going to wash in. Right. Um, and also I don't grow much more than that in bud outside or indoor. I mean, if I'm growing more than that, more, more bud stack than a five gallon bucket, I'm losing light. Does that make sense? Cause I don't grow under HID lights and I know we LEDs are more efficient and effective in a sense. But one of the things that HIDs did have over them was penetration, like for sure. Um, you know, you get these like <coughs> colas, um, but now we have to scrog plants under LEDs and we've come a long way with tech, but nonetheless, you see, I section the plant out, but I definitely leave all my water leaves on or fan leaves, whatever you want to call them. I don't trim anything. Uh, I wash everything. Um, so yeah, the tent gets used that way. And then once the plants are hung, you know, 17 days, whatever it was, I had one that only went for four days this, this year. Don't know why it's still terpy. It still smells great. So usually when a plant would go three or four days, it it's too fast and it smells like, Hey, because your enzymes died or rather, I don't know if that's the best way to say that, but the process that hosted the enzymatic process or, the, the conditions that rather were favorable for the enzymatic process shut down, right? It's like what we're trying to do when we cure our plants at 60 degrees and 60% humidity is, to my understanding, it's an enzyme uh, that is essentially digesting the chlorophyll from chlorophyll to phytol. And when, that, when we dip below those uh, meter marks the process shuts down and that's where it's like, we just get locked up. We get that hay smell or that hay taste or whatever. And it's just like, it's done. No matter what you do, you can't make it come back to life to slowly die again. Right. Um, and I liken it to like a mummy, like we're like mummifying cannabis when we slowly dry and cure it. We're not trying to bleed it out. Like we do a cow, you know what I mean? It's a totally different process. Like you're trying to slowly dry it. Uh, so wet trimming to me is like bleeding out the cow. It's like, dude, don't do that. I don't know if anyone does anymore, but the, again, some of the people I help have never done this before. And so I say everything. Um, but I, you know, you saw what was on the plant, all that gets washed. It all gets hung about 10 days later. You know, you read a lot of stuff on the internet or books and, uh, people say your stem should snap or some should, should bend. Well, you know, stems are different sizes and, you know, that's a, a silly meter i think to give somebody especially new to this 
uh, because what comes after that is it's going in a jar and now all of your freaking hard work can be undone by this one process you either did or didn't do right, right? Putting it in that damn jar. So to me, the stem's fine. I don't ever bother with the stems anymore. I used to, but I'd hit and miss all the time with my dry cure. Um, but if the bud feels crispy, you know, that to me is what matters. And sometimes the bud will feel crispy and those fan leaf petioles are still um, not crispy. They're still wiggly. Uh, I'll try to like wait a day or so until those are, you know, crispy. But generally when the bud is crispy, the whole plant is kind of like senesced and is crispy. That's when I'll, I don't buck them, but I'll probably cut those branches down like three or four times, if you will, and, and keep them still in sections about six, eight inches and put them in the grove bags. Um, so in that picture, that's a one pound bag. It'll, it can hold one pound of bud to cure, but I don't use them the way they intend them necessarily. The way I use them is to hold branches of whole, you know, so my, my bud looks all bird caged when it's dried. Right. Um, in that, uh, actually it's in that picture too, I think, but cause there's like successive harvest going on in that tent right now. But once they're all bird caged, right? Like the, when you leave your leaves on, when you leave your leaves, they surround the bud and they act like a, uh, a barricade almost too for your trichomes. So now when I am putting them in the, in the bags, I'm, I'm not, I'm never beating my buds up, but I don't have to be as crazy careful with my trichomes because they have a little bird cage around them protecting them already. Right. Inherently. So then, yeah, the branches are in that bag right there. That's the CBG in that bag from this year. Um, they just go in there and like I said, six agent, eight inch branches until I can get to them. And then that meaning I trim them. Uh, so then I just take them out a branch or whatever at a time. So I have some smoke, but what I like to do is sit down and get through all of it. Right. And just, um, but when I, when I finally get to trimming and manicuring my bud, like separating sugar leaf from bud and, and, and fan leaves and stems, they go back in the garden. Um, I put that in a jar. But I can swear to you, and anyone that's had my cannabis, I mean, Leighton, they, it's, it's squish, it's not squishy in a bad way, but I mean, months after the cut, it's still primo. It's right on. And I can only attribute that to those bags because, you know, I've known all the steps and I've done all the steps. It's just like the one thing I've done different is add those bags, which is silly as it sounds to have tech. And generally when someone says proprietary, that's where you lose me. But and that's just me personally, but uh, the way I can liken this this tech to somebody is imagine an odor molecule is a ball. I don't care what size ball, but now you have a screen that's smaller than that ball and then another screen that's even a different size and then another screen that's a different size. So seven screens make up this bag, right? It's, it's, a, it's an airtight bag, but at the same time, if it regulates moisture and well, it can't regulate uh, temp, but if it regulates moisture, it obviously is a breathable in a way, right? Um, but it holds the terp molecule back. So that ball, sorry, it was your smell, your odor molecule, your terpenes or your uh, theols, I always say too, because I don't know why we, we forget to include those for some reason when we all talk about stinky cannabis. I'm like, dude, I don't know what, you know, I like terpenes too, but man, some of that skunky stuff, that's the man. Um, anyway, 
those odor molecules, whatever they may be, are a certain size. And the idea is that this bag, it won't let the odor molecules out, but the vapor molecules, which are of a much smaller size, are able to then escape to being, you know, able to off gas. I can speak to one time, I think I put something in the bag a little too early and the bag kind of pumped up, plumped up. Like if you were to, uh, like a bag of chips and you go up a mountain or something, or like CO2 off gassing and something like it, it plumped up. Right. So I knew there was something going on in the bag. Um, and I opened that and I just opened the bag is what I did for that one. But now I have done this. So I swear by this, I've, taken my crispy buds, chopped the branches and just throw them in there. And I go, I've went on vacation. So never in my, you know, 10 plus years growing cannabis, have I been able to take dried buds and just go on vacation. I mean, unless you were just leaving them to dry, but you don't put them in a jar and go on vacation. No, hell no, no, no. Like that's a good way to get mold, right? Like you, you put them in a jar and you come back 12 hours later at most and check on those things and, and you burp them. And like, I'm yet to meet a wife, but I'm sure she's out there that likes the sound of 30 Mason jar rings fucking going on and off all the damn time for two weeks while you burp your jars effectively. And while they take up real estate on your dining room table, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like these Grove bags, you see that Grove bag is in my tent because my tent is set up to 60, 60, right? Um, so it's just like that kind of thing where I'm always trying to use something, the same thing more than one way, you know, uh, which is why I think I like the cover crop too. There's so much going on there. That's just like, it's or the, the living soil beds, like the cover crop, there's some, there's biology that you couldn't have in a different system. There's, you know, it just, so, but I love things that do multiple things like that. Nice. So do those bags, um, it sounds like they're, they're airproof, they're airtight. Right. Because I was thinking like, you know, the whole reason you burp is also to release the gases, the off gas, because the gases that, that are released during the enzymatic process of curing um, are detrimental to the cure process. So there must be something else with them. Do they have like a little uh, dot on, on the yeah. side of them? I wish that I was getting the, no, it's not like that. Not like the mushroom bags. Um, I wish that I had the package by now. Cause I was like, they'll probably send me some literature, but uh, like I said, Grove bags, if you go online, you know, there, you can read up enough. Um, but like I said, they say proprietary and I know there's other brands. I can't even suggest a name cause I don't know them. Uh, but again, I, I wasn't necessarily trying to plug Grove bags, but I'm just trying to plug my success because it's been a serious game changer. And anything that, that allows me to take um, success to that level with, with removing me and removing the mechanical process and the time and you know what I mean? That's huge. Uh, but that being said, that bag is a $7 bag. So it's not just a regular turkey bag. It's not just a, a Ziploc bag. I know people cure in the HDX tubs, um, but still you have to be hands-on with your curing. This is something I literally zip the damn thing and I forget about it until I'm ready to come back and trim it. Uh, and that could be two weeks. It can be a month. It doesn't matter. I've And if I didn't have two years using this, I wouldn't be saying this. Um, but I've used them all through the season. I grow not only greenhouse, I do indoor obviously. Right. So it's like, I'm constantly cycling, but 
Yeah, they're seven dollar bags. And so I bought I I will say I bought the 10 pack of one pound bags because I have 10 plants coming out of the greenhouse. And even though they might be quarter pound plants, I'm sectioning them out and it fills up that whole bag, right? Well, you leave the stem, you leave the stem on. Correct. Yeah. So, cause I don't use them like they want me to, to, you know, buck the buds manicured, put them in the bag and heat seal it on the shelf or they're, they're also marketed to dispensaries and stuff. So if you're commercial, then hell yeah, that makes a great, that makes great sense, right? Like here's a good way to store your bulk product. Don't worry about it being volatile and turning into CBN necessarily or whatever. Um, the Terp Lock is their technology. Terp Lock is the trademark or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It's a head scratcher. Cause I'm like, well, obviously it's not like, you know, it is, it's watertight in a sense, but it's like, is it like, you know, it just really kind of makes you wonder. Um, but nonetheless, like it's, it's for people that I say are new to this. Uh, one of my buddies literally was at one of my workshops and he's like, so where's the brisket? And I was like, what do you mean? Where's the brisket? You know, and he's like, I used to do a lot of smoked meat. And he's like, and when I was first getting into this, I, I went through a lot of brisket that was not right. You know what I mean? It's like, you ruin a lot of meat when you're trying to learn how to smoke and cure meat, I guess. Anyway, I was like, oh dude, there's no brisket in this. I was like, you know, it's all a no brainer. Like, trust me, the process is so easy. And then when we got to this part of the workshop, I was like, oh, actually, bro, here's the brisket. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to put your undried cannabis in a jar. That is game over. You're not coming back from that. I'm so sorry to tell you, like you literally just wasted however many months it took you. You know what I mean? That's where it's like you molded it, bro. You can't smoke mold. Um, and so on that note, it's funny. I had a I was washing the cannabis. I had one plant that it was very slight, but it did mold on me. And I could tell it when I was washing, because as soon as you put it under, all that mold comes to the top, right? It, like the, it's like oil on water. Um, and then I look at everything after I'm harvesting it too. And I'm like, ah, I, I smoked like one or two bowls of it. I'm like, nope, nope, this ain't good. So that whole, it was, you know, thankfully that one was only a couple ounces, but it went back on the garden whole thing, bud and everything. You know what I mean? It's just like, um, we have to remember about the law of return and that's what this is all coming back to and why we're doing this. Right. It's like, I'm not smoking the stems. I'm not smoking the leaf. Uh, I know you can upcycle a lot of things, but to me, I'm like the most upcycling I want to do is in my soil. You know, so it's like even sugar leaf, I'll throw back sometimes in the early trimming, like when I'm just kind of trimming here and there and not actually sitting down to separate piles. I'm like, it just all goes back in the garden, you know, um, to become those precursor building blocks of what we want in our cannabis plant again. Um, anyway, what I forget what else I sent you at the there was like three tech folders, wasn't there, buddy? Yeah. And you've been through the first one. Okay. Yeah, we did. We talked about, oh, so the bud washing, we talked about the size. If anyone Googles bud washing, there's a lot of stuff out there, but this is just what I use. I, I know you can use hydrogen peroxide. My personal feedback on that is that is something you really do want to get the recipe right. And that unfortunately is going to come for you as trial and error because I don't have a recommendation to that. Um, and I can say, if you don't get it right, you're going to mess with your terpenes. And I can't speak on the science of it, but I can tell you for, for experiential fact, um, it might not affect some terpenes, but it definitely is going to affect your smoke. I've 
had hydrogen peroxide washes that were stronger that I believe affected my smoke is what I'm saying. So I've since I I've for, always washed for years now again. Uh, and I have since then went to that three bucket setup. You know, the first bucket is a half cup or a minimum of a quarter cup, but as max, like if it's really dirty or whatever, and you want to use a, a whole cup of lemon juice, but I think a half cup is fine. That's usually where I land. Uh, quarter to half cup lemon juice, quarter to half cup baking soda, just one to one. And if if people, you know, suspect this or whatever, it's fine. Like, you know, like what what's the science behind it? Um, there is science behind it, like in fact, but um, and there's actually an NIH study that they did on uh, using baking soda washes instead of bleach for produce. So there's that if people really want to read. Um baking soda as a more low more so as a surfactant if you will uh uh right surfactant is the pushes things away no it spreads the water out yeah so they use that as a surfactant and the lemon juice of course has the ascorbic acid which is um is antiseptic so it so works a lot. let's 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 go through this i, I yes. you may have gone over it the last time but so no, you, I didn't actually, though. All right. So, the Ken, can you bring up the buckets again? And so, the first bucket is this half cup of lemon juice, half cup of baking soda. And then just water. And just water. And if I'm you, still I used to use those, wind, you know, the big wind, windmill buck, uh, blue jug Phillips. When I was in the city, that's the water I would use for my grows. Uh, but I was, of course, feeding then. Um, but yeah, this looks like I was either halfway through a wash and remembered to take a picture. Because I always forget to take pictures. But you All can right. see, like, stuff on that water. I mean... So, so the bucket on the left is your first dip. Right. And and I'll do probably, like, you know, I hold it under there. I'm I'm waiting till a lot of those bubbles come up. So I'm glad you're asking me about this because there are some things to consider. Your trichomes are not water-soluble, right? Like, we know that. First of all, it's not ice-cold water because that's how you make hash. We don't want to do that. Um, but also even when you're making hash, they usually fresh freeze that material to make the trichome brittle. Uh, again, I've done this for years, so I promise I'm not going to walk anyone to the, the, uh, detriment, but the only off the blank. <laughs> yeah, what would be not good to do in this system is don't bash your buds up against those buckets because now you are going to damage your trichomes and potentially create static or whatever, um, I think static is less of an issue in the bucket in the water, but still soft collision is okay, right? Like you say, soft collision underwater when you're, when you're dipping and swirling and a couple little buds are like doing this, like it's fine. And again, I look at things before and after I, I really do. I'm so meticulous about my crops. Um, All right. So, so now let's get on to the second bucket. What's in the second just bucket? Straight, just straight water for both the other two buckets. Okay. And how do you... How and do you then, explain the dark on the right? Why is that right. one darker? So it, it's just pollution or contamination, to which hence the second bucket, right? Because you're you're pulling out lemon juice and whatever on that first plant that you're dipping into this one to be a, a original or a rather a preliminary rinse, and then that's you know tertiary. So you could get a many as many rinse buckets as you really want. I'm also standing in front of a sink in the picture; you just can't see. Uh, an outdoor sink, but it's, it's like, if I really need it, I could also rinse them. But, um, that's the idea 
is the first bucket is the sanitation and cleaning, right? It literally is dislodging things. And it's nuts if you, it, you can't really see the bottom of those buckets, but I did say this last week. I play this two ways. One, if you've ever looked at the sun rays, you know how much dust we're freaking breathing in? Like people calm down, right? Like just calm down, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you're going to wear yourself to death. But then the other thing is when I wash these buds and I even wash my indoor buds like three quarters of the time, stuff comes off them, man. It's just like, you know, roly poly poop, whatever. It's like, and, and having that in there, it's like, you know, I've also, I also said I've smoked some sketch weed, right? I've smoked some, some brick weed that I knew was from South of the border. You pulled it apart and it was like thermophilic. It smelled straight like ammonia, man. There was composting going down. I was like, they bailed it up when it was still fresh. Like I said, you molded that product. Um, and I was too young and dumb to not smoke it. I just got, Oh my gosh. So anyway, here to, here to say I'm alive, but, um, I'll treat myself much better now. And hence the bud washing, so the, the science is there. It's just, again, the last thing you want to do when your plant is in full flower is get it wet, right? So here I am dunking my shit literally for 30 seconds in this first bucket. You know, I'll count and twist or whatever. Um, and then that second bucket, I'm like, I do 11 seconds or 15 or whatever. And then I do like five, three or whatever. Just feels good, right? I just go with whatever feels good and how the wash is going. It's like... If it's a really clean wash, then I don't give it that much time. Or, um, but I immediately have fans on those buds, pretty much. Oh, and this is the other thing; it's crazy. I'll, I'll. Uh, so I take this dripping wet bud, right? It's, it's dripping wet. Um, and you know, if you don't get that water off, you're getting mold. So it's like kind of playing with fire. But also, so is all that stuff that's in your bud drying, potentially becoming a mold site. So it's like wash that shit off. Uh, and dry your bud properly. <laughs> uh, so I take my stem, that's what I'm holding here in my hand, and I literally do like a full, like centrifugal force, right? Careful not to bash your bud. I, I've done it with tree canopy on accident. I've been like trying to follow the shade on a wash that's taken me longer. Uh, and I'm like hit it with a tree stem. I'm like, oh shit, like that's not good for your trichomes. Um, or, you know, anything on the ground or whatever. Like I don't jostle it. I'm not doing like quick back and forths, but like, full centrifugal force to get that water off. I'll do like five of those bad boys. And, you know, then I put a fan more or less right on it versus like not on it, you know? So, so after you've done this, this centrifugal force activity, right. Then you clip it up on right. upside down and then put a fan on it, an oscillating fan to just kind of. Yeah. And I, I only have the fan like on it for, maybe 24 hours. I just kind of watch it. Um, but definitely to where there's no water drops literally on those calyxes anymore, those, uh, the pistols. Um, and then I might let the fan just be like in the tent or by day two or three, I turn fans off inside the tent and I just have the inlet fan coming on. That's creating a balloon of the tent at positive pressure when the whole room is at 60 degrees. So also that double OG chem I took a picture of, she's growing in 60 to 80 degrees right now, 60 degrees at night, 80 degrees during the day right now, which isn't horrible for a plant. It's not, it's 10 degrees below ideal on the, the low end, but it's okay. Like she's been, she's obviously looking pretty fly. Uh, she's still praying and she's still super green, which is the other thing. That's what I was going to tell you about the muncher juice. Um, I swear 
that that is one of the keys to, I think the cannabis has started fixing its own nitrogen, like they said, which is explaining the greening in the leaves. Uh, It's just like, it just happened when I started applying muncher juice. Right. And it's just crazy that like now that's what I forgot to show you, of course, with the double OG chem pre muncher juice, she had purple leaf petioles in the four by four. Then in the greenhouse, she's had, mixed right when she got started in there but then when i started raising her up because she was getting muncher juice in the tent too um but right at the greenhouse she started kind of purpling a smidge and but in the four by two she's all green like the whole it's insane so um or at least that inoculation you know what i mean like because i that comes that that came back to me i'm just like thinking like yeah man if if a plant can fix its own nitrogen like what you guys were talking about with dr james white you know um that that might be something happening in the muncher juice oh god yes this muncher juice is quite the rabbit hole dude oh my god so that we've got a second round of bioinformatics going out this week Um, but our original (coughs) data set came back and showed a huge variation between the bio bed and the output, which I don't have an answer for other than the fact that the muncher process is clearly a living organism. Right. It's not, it's not a mechanical thing. There, there is a organism that is growing and processing and releasing different things on a metabolic level. So I'm not surprised that you see um, how it can with application of this product uh you're giving the plant tools that it didn't have to make adjustments corrections and potentially express genetics that it couldn't without it i mean it's it's amniotic fluid it's primordial soup right right it is it's it's crazy so yeah stay tuned we'll have yeah and i still owe you a side by side like i said at least that i want to do something of cover crop like i might do the males um because you know it's it's again we all know this it's so hard to do you know like what is science right like we measure things but like what are we measuring in the whole big pool of you know what i mean so it's like we'll try our best to create something that we think is replicable or controlled um but i still owe you an experiment i got a gallon of muncher to play with and i uh I have a tent that's going to be empty soon in, in the right time. So um, anyway, uh, if we go, that must have been most of the tech. Oh, yeah. So that's the bottomless pot. I know I spoke on this a bit last time. Um, I know we we I just want to I just want to tease this out a tiny bit because, again, I'm not a mycologist. I'm a citizen scientist at best. Right. But the my you know, as we know it, mycorrhizal fungi to get full inoculation and pl- uh, potential um, symbiosis, we say is 90 day colonization, right? Yeah. A 90 day. Um, however, Stephanie Garcia, not to name names, I guess, but Stephanie Garcia works, I believe at um, mycorrhizal applications. I'm so, sorry if I got that wrong. Microapply? Uh, it might, uh, no, I think, I think it's the one that, um, Mike Amaranthus started, but anyway, so if you go to Shango's uh, podcast too, I'm not, not to distract, but he interviewed her recently. She's a mycologist, a laboratory mycologist. And um, 
was saying a lot about mycorrhizae, of course, right? And like teasing out how we also use the word mycelium and mycorrhizae interchangeably when they're not necessarily the same thing. They can be, but they're not, not generally the same thing. Um, anyhow, so she was saying that they have seen, you know, like clone stress reduction, uh, um, germination rate success like things like that where it's like you know you're not even close to 90 days in but there's only more or less anecdotal right and we say you know roll your seeds in um so you can begin that 90 day process so but at least what she's saying is they're seeing uh notable effects well before 90 days you know within a couple weeks even so it's just to be considered so anyway to bring up that pot that picture and why my thinking was the way it was because uh, again, I wouldn't say, you know, the, of course that Tyler's wrong or anything. I think the way that most people are doing this, he was saying is that they typically put these on a saucer, like each one gets a saucer or whatever. Um, but you see, I put it on a sand bed to one, create an alluvial layer for them because these are going to be right set on the greenhouse, uh, Oh, horizon. So this is just an alluvial layer, just some sand, uh, from around the property, but it wasn't very dense. I left it coarse, right? I left it pretty coarse. Um, but I would, I would top and bottom water these. Uh, but what I wanted, because they were also inoculated with bioratus when I put them in from uh, four inch pots into the bottomless pots, because I didn't direct seed the bottomless pots. I wasn't sure how they were going to go at first and everything. So I waited until I had a good root ball on a, on a uh, four inch cup. Uh, and I gave it a nice bioratus uh, uh powdery you know coating and inoculated them and my thinking was again now these when they were babies you know little little tiny things from the cups they i because i didn't want to root bound them i just waited until i had a good uh rooting like i said um i figured i had another month or two of them being in the tent you know and i forget exactly how much time but i knew that root hairs were going to be crossing and i knew that they were all inoculated and so that whole getting the biology rolling as uh, as quickly and robustly as I could because this wasn't going to have cover crop in it. They were too small to do cover crop in. It's a one-gallon pot. Um, and I do believe at a one-gallon pot without a liner, I would be drinking way too much water. So that's the other thing I talked about with Tyler and you, Leighton, is like, you know, I remember the sandbag stories, like maybe I should try a sandbag. Um, but I've like talked about you know, getting bottomless pots with liners on them because I think they would oddly enough work better in my situation as far as like that water holding capacity. Um, and then will they perform better in the greenhouse? I don't know. That's, that's the thing is, uh, it's hard to say. So well, yeah, I mean, like, look here, they look pissed off. This is at eight in the morning. That's when I put them in day of, um, and then the, the other picture is like at, I think, 2 p.m. And they were all praying. So, you know, they're like, okay, we're cool. We can dig it. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting about um, your process with the bottomless pots was that by top watering and bottom watering, you are preventing that typical uh, lean toward hydrophobic that would occur if you only top water. So, sure. yeah, I think that, that you're onto something and the fact that you had such great aggregation. Ken, go back to that picture of the bottomless pot. I mean, look at the size of those aggregates, dude. They're right. huge. And so, yeah. obviously, you're, you're, you're turning 
that globalin, man. <laughs> you're pull, yeah, you're pulling the sand particles together. Um, they're bonding with the the soil matrix that you've built. Right. Yeah. Look at the root hairs. Yeah, like, and, the, and the hairs too. There's I mean, some falling off right there. You see it? I got yeah. it in motion. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that we should back up a little um, and talk a little bit more about mycorrhizae because. There's a big misnomer that people don't get. And I love the fact that you brought up mycelium is not mycorrhizae. No. Mycelium, mycelium is saprophyte. Now, will will mycorrhizae go in there and join that thread? Absolutely. Right. Well, Absolutely. You, so, can, you can have ecto you can have ectomycorrhizal mycelium, you know, like the the saprophytic mush. Well, I guess those would technically be. No, but like the ones that have the conifers, you know, the conifer, the ectomycorrhizae, though, not the endo, because we'd never see those, which right. that's what cannabis has. But, um, but, the, but the ecto is only on the root. It's like the fur. Right. Yeah, yeah. It looks like a hairy root. Right. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't really. It it's looks like fur. hairy. Right. It's the fur on the horn. It's right. not mycelium. No, mycelium yeah. The mycelium everybody always sees is not that saprophytic fungi. Yes. Correct. That's the that fungi is the only fungi that produce that eggs. Uh, well, I guess I would call it an exudate that turns right. hard and rubbery and protects it from getting oxidized. Right. Indeed. But once right. the, once that thread has been created, there's plenty of opportunity for mycorrhizae to join in that, just like a cable in a and oh, you know, a communication. Yeah. yeah my, uh, what is it? Uh, fiber optic, right, or something? Yeah. yeah. Right. So we know we know that's what's going on. Now, if there's no mycorrhizae present, it's obviously not going to colonize that. But if, right. if there is the opportunity for them to coexist, they will absolutely coexist. Yeah. And, and the, other, the other thing is, so it's 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 incredibly important to know this. Right. And I don't I'm not saying let's favor one endomycor endophytic mycorrhizae or rather uh the name's going to change in five years, but rather one symbiotic uh, endo, endo mycorrhizae. Uh, the rhizo, I believe we call it nowadays, rhizophagus intradicetes is the, so every, let me back up a tiny bit, like 95% at least, I think we say like 98% of plants uh, colonize with fungi, have a symbiotic relation, either endo or ectomycorrhizae, right? But we're talking about cannabis this time and cannabis only symbiosis with endomycorrhizal fungi. And also mycorrhizal fungi refers to the fungi, the type of fungi, but mycorrhizae or mycorrhiza refers to the relationship. Once it's formed, it has a root and a mycorrhizae fungi. Like it refers to the the dance, you know, it's not like we don't say mycorrhizae talking about the fungi, but we do, and that's what's wrong. But never mind that. Like, anyway, cannabis likes one type of mycorrhizae, uh, and that's rhizophagus intradicetes. Right now is what we call it. It's formerly been called glomus intradicetes because it's part of the glomus family uh, that makes glomalin in soil. Like you saw that those glomalin is the glue, the soil glue that makes the aggregates, but it was also formerly called, um, glomus mossae. 
so yeah, Glomus Mosse, Glomus Intradicetes are the same thing. So is Rhizophagus. Sorry, Rhizophagus Intradicetes or Rhizophagus Mosse or uh, yes, I, I think. think I think the point is, is don't get hung up on the name because it's going to change again and again and again. Oh, but, it is. But, but if you're, if science, science is, is spitting out so much information at such a fast rate. And finally, the ivory towers are beginning to work together in just in interdisciplinary um, levels that are opening the doors to so much more information. I think I think the point you, you you need to make here is that you need to know that you have a reputable company that you're purchasing from. That's the bottom line because right. there are multiple species of mycorrhizae that will colonize cannabis. At least three have been documented, and and that's when the plant was in uh, prohibition. Imagine now that it's out of prohibition, and if money it starts to move in that direction. Um, that's going to drive co colleges to do further studies on the differences and the other potentials that can be colonizing. Because as Ashton will tell you, you know, a plant just doesn't colonize with one type. They often call it ties with multiple types. So, you know, again, you, you can't focus on the minutia. You got to, you got to get out of the weeds and be like, okay, as long as this company is reliable, and right. I recommend to the audience that you send a sample of any inoculant that you purchase to micro roots um, and have him do a spore count because I've sent multiple different varieties in and had similar horrible results of either zero spores or spores that were shrunken up and were not viable. Right. Um, so, you know, again, there's a lot of games to get played in this green world of uh, cannabis sure. that you have to be concerned with. I guess, yeah. And I think, thanks for, for uh, like I said, I wanted to tease it out. So thank you for teasing that out even further. Because again, I find myself playing devil's advocate often, not because I think I believe in one side or the other, but I believe in oneness and wholeness. So I guess what I was trying to say is, the latest science that I've read, um, it, it, that is, that's the supporting species that you should be looking for if you're buying a package, right? At least that, and then send that to the lab. But if you're buying uh, online or whatever, if you're if you're green at this and you're just buying mycorrhizae, uh, or rather, there's like you know bags of soil that say mycorrhizae. Don't believe it. You know, yeah, I'm like it's it's horse minutia, it's it's minutia, so to speak, like you said, right? But you're wasting your money thinking that that's your inoculation, is what I'm saying. And if you're buying something that's not even the right or known species to inoculate, so I won't discount there being others. That's amazing. But if if you're buying shit that's not even documented in any way, shape, or form to be a, a symbolist or a catalyst of any sort, then you're not wasting your money, but what you're doing is you're not inoculating your cannabis. But what you could be inoculating is all your cover crop, like your millet or your ryegrass or your sorghum, whatever is in your your um, your mycorrhizal host population. Amaranths, actually, actually, amaranths don't mycorrhizal host. Uh, that's a joke. Um, sorry, Mike Amaranthus is like the like old school uh, mycologist, but 
he's like studied mushrooms, but amaranth is like one family that does not have a relationship with fungi as we know it. The chinopods, like charred beets, uh, Mike Arise, anyway. But um, the other thing I was going to say about it, like I said, the devil's advocate is we are always changing our science. So I guess why I'm so not anti-science, I don't like putting labels on myself, but why I'm so like challenge of the system all the time is like, it's like you said, Leighton, like we have 200 acres. Where are we going to test? Now you send in the soil sample. You're going to look at this one teaspoon under a microscope. And in that one teaspoon, teaspoon. yeah, you're going to look at one drop of water. So it's like, we don't really even like, where do we start? And we are, we know, you know, we'll say 15%, but like, that's really a large number about what microorganisms are. We don't know dick about fungi yet and that, let alone the interactions of everything. Right. So it's like, like you said, I don't want to limit myself. I just go with, like you always say, diversity. So fuck it, man. Add fish brew, dude. You see the stuff that's in fish brew, add awesome things that you can just put in there. So I love the bio radis. Um, so that's what I was saying. You're not wasting your money, but if your mindset is, Oh, I got mycorrhizae for my cannabis plant, dude, I'm sorry to break it to you. If it doesn't have this species, but again, I don't grow monoculture plants. So it's just like, I'm not worried about that. But the other following that rabbit hole, just a tiny bit more, if you are doing no-till and you're off-season in your cannabis plant, you also have to try to make sure you have a host that is mutually favorable, um, something that also symbiosis with the same types of endomycorrhizae, or you just put another cannabis plant right in there. Uh, but you don't want those mycorrhizae, you know, necessarily to spore later, whatever. Um, does that make sense? I guess you don't want to lose you don't want to lose momentum. Once you take your, you harvest your cannabis plant, now that mycorrhizal host, unless you have other things supporting that same. It's not, it's not just, it's not just mycorrhizae, dude. It's the whole soil food web. Oh yeah. No, I mean, cover crop out, will do a lot. If you rip out all your plants and you don't put something in there, to, like I tell Shango, it's like, Hey, I know you move outside in the summer, but at least keep the bed going because otherwise when you come back in the winter, you're going to have to restart the whole damn system. Sure. So make sure that you're growing something low light, something that's easy to maintain. You don't have to spend a ton of time watering and taking care of, but keep the bed alive. And I think that's the that's the point that should be made. And yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna reel you back in again because you get going so fast out in front of me. I can't keep up with you. That's sorry, man. That's all right. It's good. It's all good. So well, I was gonna say like carrots though. Sorry, carrots would be one of the plants I'm talking about. Like if you put carrots in your bed, they'll overwinter, but they also happen to favor with glomus intradicetes. That was the point I'm making, right? So you, you could put clover in there, but clover is not gonna fucking host with ectomycorrhizae or endomycorrhizae. It's gonna make bacterial um nitrogen fixing, nitrosomus, you know, symbiosis. But that's all I just want people to be considering that. Like if what populations you're keeping alive with what plants, right? Because we can steer that with plants, right? So that's all. Just, um, but anyway, sorry, reel me in, buddy. Where are we going? <laughs> sorry. Um, no, no, no. It's all good, brother. It's all good. So, so a better understanding of mycorrhizae inoculation process. It is understood based on science presently expressed and documented. 
that it takes 90 days for full colonization. When I say that, what I mean is that the mycorrhizae has infected the cell sites, has started to grow at hyphae, has begun mining nutrients, and right. begun to return those nutrients back. Now, that is what we consider at this point in time um, to be a true, complete cycle of life. Now, does those spores at the beginning when they first infect the plant provide some kind of value to the plant? Absolutely. Then the only reason I bring this up is because it's if people rip their root balls out. Oh, yeah. People, Please don't do that. Right. If people if people till right. <clears throat> or in between crops don't take care of it, then, yeah, you are losing the value of it. In exactly. other words. The mycorrhizae should be established before you put your next crop in. Right, right. So that you have intermediate interaction. Because if you have inoculated the seed, that seed has now got it. And then you take that bottomless pot and you sit it on top of your soil that's already had a grow in it. Right. The connection can be within 24 to 48 hours. Sure. <laughs> instead yeah. of 90 days. That's, that's a huge savings of time. So, you know, yeah. that's where I want to just make sure that that the information is being properly or responsibly being transferred to the audience so that they really get this. Right. Yeah. And I guess the like I said, to bring the carrot back up, that was the the thing I was really trying to bring up is like if say somebody does just do greenhouse. Right. And they don't grow it uh, for six months. Maybe they're just growing their one supply. And so they want, you know, in my mind, let's not start from scratch back at, you know, the top of the season let's get some carrots in there or or uh, that's just the only one coming to mind right now like google the shit real quick um and again i'm not saying this as a reductionist theory fact i'm just saying based on the science as we know it if we're gonna say cannabis specializes with this type of fungi so do these other plants that also we eat some of them um they good they're good off-season host is what i'm getting at right uh so keeping them alive it's like great then there you there you have it now you have a solution for keeping you a robust diverse population um during your quote-unquote off season right and and then it's a cover crop or or not i mean i suggest it being a cover crop i don't pull my carrots out i let them rot down in the soil like with radish or beet or anything else um but that's just that's just what i mean for it uh but yeah it's i you know me dude i I don't, I, if I'm not to say I'm anti-reductionist theory, you know me enough to, to, I geek out on this stuff, but I also just challenge it because I'm like, man, I feel like we've kind of almost just done ourselves a disservice so far, but we're also, we're so new to it. You know, I think we're just, I'm along for the ride. Yeah, it's all we can do. It's all yeah, and it's a crazy do. ride. Oh yeah, that's for sure. All right. So we got to, I think, tech one. And tech two. Yeah. So, yeah. So you saw the, the transplant shock less, right? That was, it's, it, it's just nice to know they went into a greenhouse from that little bit of time and then they were praying. It's like, so that speaks to the biology, the tech of the bottomless pot, the horizontal system that's also running on blue mat. Um, but yeah, what's in tech number three, Ken? <laughs> number three. What's, what's behind door? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the bottomless pots again, I think we've talked about enough. I was just kind of showing you. So that's what size they were at about before they went in the greenhouse. 
Um, you can see the bottom of the pots are nice and moist. Right. Yes. Thank you. That I did think to point out because that alluviation is, is important because we are trying to drive roots down. Um, I didn't see a bunch of side air pruning in these and I might have, if I was just bottom watering, I could be wrong though. But, uh, again, I just, I'm just sharing with what I did this year. I top and bottom watered according. And I, I think uh, you would have, I think you'd see, uh, those roots popping out if they were in the pots longer. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, they probably could have taken more time. And I know that a lot of the people that do this are living soil people too, but I just got to wonder what else is somebody doing to nurse a plant along after this point? Cause they get hungry. You know what I mean? They're going to start exhausting what's, what's there, your minerals. And it, it can only be mined so much before there's like, you know, NPK is a thing, right? It's like, so at some point those little pots that you're constantly watering to keep you know you're you're that's not a sustainable cycle it's a it's a good entry to a nursery cycle but i think we can all agree that is not a good way to grow cannabis full term you know what i mean like if no. it was to grow those in the tent right it'd be like that'd be like the, the least efficient way to grow cannabis um bottomless one gallon pots like dude i can show you how to waste money man <laughs> anyway uh so yeah we're trying to make a point that you know you the plant can only go so far before you have to add nutrition whether yeah, exactly. it's raw minerals whether it's npk whether it's right natural it's farming location on the bed right you know there's so many different ways to to get nutrition to the plants yeah you, you have to take that into consideration is that you're going to starve them out at some point. And I think that's a valid way to, to state that. And in your opinion, when do you think that, or who, what would you say to a new grower when they said to you, well, I've grown them out, uh, you know, two weeks, getting ready to, to go into flower. Should I give them a fertility boost at this point? What is your recommended timeline? For that? Give them a, what is it? A fertility boost, uh, uh, you know. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, um, you know, I think it would always depend on their 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 what they're going into, right? Because we're talking about them being bottomless pots, so they're going to take them and put them in a bed. You're meaning? Well, yeah, yeah. It just like even if they're just in pots, like what period do you so, need to start feeding? Yeah, I mean, two weeks. Three weeks? I, I, I still, yeah, I would say between somewhere around there is probably typical, but again, it just depends on your, the soil that it's, it's living on, I guess, honestly. Right. Um, what it's like resources can be, but I would imagine, yeah, no more than two or three weeks. And again, my, um, I wish I had more clarity, but thank goodness I had the muncher juice. So I didn't, I didn't find that negative space. You know what I mean? I didn't find that um, negative feedback loop. So fortunate. when did you, when did you first add muncher juice to these? Uh, oh, shoot, man. Now I wish I had that in front of me. Um, uh, it would have been like probably right when they went in there. So I would say add a couple weeks, you know, because they came out of the cups, they had a nice root on them and they would have been, and I might've given the cups a little shot here and there too, even um, just messing around. Like, you know, I'm like, this ain't going to do anything bad to him. Right. And you're like, no, it's fine. Uh, but I do remember pretty much as soon as they got in there, they got muncher juice maybe once a week. Okay. Um, which, you know, again, I mean, I, 
fertilizer or not fertilizer, I still consider that a bi biological inoculation, even though what it was inoculating was technically, I think, like you were theorizing, um, allowing it to fix its own nitrogen. I mean, so that is, in a sense, its own fertilizer kind of, but I don't so, know. So what it is, to the best of my ability at this point in time to explain, it's a bioinoculant, it's a biostimulant, it's an organic fertilizer, and it's an ionized form fertility so it is it is like a triple friggin what it's a it's a grand slam fucking home run and and we haven't got into the metabolics although we do know it has plant growth promoters plant growth regulators plant hormones so you know again i, I can go on at least seven seven different entities or not entities but uh properties of this product so, you know, again, stay tuned. We'll have more information over the next probably month or two. Nice. Uh, yeah. As as things progress. But that being said, that's that stuff is is liquid gold because it does sure. all these things. I don't know which properties are more abundant. I mean, yeah, the, another thing that we did was we got the organic acid report back and the gibberellic acid fucking number was through the friggin' roof, which oh, goes to understanding hormones and and again, folding proteins, which gets really fucking complicated. Um, yeah, that was a, that was another article I read recently was that we, up until this point in time, we believed that proteins, um, certain proteins reacted simultaneously. And then in the UK, they just recently did a study on irocoids. They always pronounce that wrong. That actually this situation doesn't happen. They didn't fold identically. When one tripped, the other one didn't. So again, we there's so much more to all of this shit that we need to understand. Oh yeah. That that I can't expect that in my lifetime that they're gonna really have the ability to completely unravel this. Although AI, and I shouldn't call it AI, let's call it machine learning. Machine learning is definitely helping a lot of this stuff, but even then these biogeochemical interactions and reactions are happening at such speeds right it's going to be very difficult for them even to uh, figure out because each situation is a little different temperature moisture soil value ph physical right. properties exposure to different organisms all of these things change in in the parameters and in ways that is just mind-blowing um yeah you know, and again you know i think I think the other side of that coin is that um, these little tiny breakthroughs that are happening right now in science um, are just setting us back. They're, they're, we're, not, we're not going forward. We, we ask a question, we get an answer, that leads to five more questions. Right, yeah. So that's, that's where we should be looking at this at, at this point in time. Because even, even if we get through this whole, you know, we call it M5 macro, micro, uh, molecular, uh, metabolic, and machine learning. We get through all of that phase. All you got to do is change one ingredient. That's out the window, right? Yeah, sure. um, the, the other piece of this is like understanding, you know, we all say, oh, soil is a living organism. The, the crew here, like the living yeah, soil, sure. we understand soil as a organism, as a life form. Right. Right. Well, I was explaining to Gary, who's one of the principals today, 
Um, we now know, and we now need to look at this machine and this process as a living organism, because we tested the bio bed and then within a minute went to the output and tested the output. Radically different, radically different organisms. Uh, so really, yes. Yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, without, without the M5 crew looking at it with all their expertise, right. Um, we would never be able to unlock this. And, and if this was a year ago, we wouldn't be able to unlock it because all this tech is coming out so fast. It's getting so affordable and you know, there's different primers, there's different pipelines. Primers are tools that they use to plug into this DNA extraction to extract certain types of DNA, which we know are associated to these types of organisms. But then you put two or three of these different organisms together, then you know, okay, this is probably the direction. We don't know the tra true trajectory, but we know the general direction in which this system is going. Dude, it's fucking crazy. <laughs> It's going to be Jurassic Park, man. <laughs> Freaking Jurassic Park soon. Yeah, yeah, literally. Um, but anyway, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent. No, I mean, that's, that's, it's reaffirming, I guess, both of my points, which are polar or on the same spectrum, however you want to look at it. It's like, I guess my point in testing is like, I think we should do it from the point of uncovering, um, or validating or things like that and exp exploration. There you go. Learning. Um, but we always, again, we have to unlearn things we thought we knew and we learned. Right. So my, my encouragement is that don't let testing be a hindering or, or uh, I don't know, I guess I would rather see people be messy in their approach uh, I don't know how that can sound too. Cause there's stuff that I'm like, you know, we don't like peat moss and I speak very much against that. like you. And, and, um, but I would rather see people be messy in their approach and, and working and gardening or just, you know, being out in the soil because your experience is going to teach you more than a mountain full of books that are, you know, dated the day they're published. You know what I mean? It's like, it takes us three years to write a book and then it's old because it's out so that's like, it's yeah, it's just like, holy shit. Um, so that's all I think both exist. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not a, a, a lab scientist of any kind. And so, you know, I've talked to you about this. That's always been kind of one of my like, yeah, but I wish I was. Yeah, but I wish I, you know, and it's like, but no, dude, I, I have experience that is, you know, huge. And that is where people can come to me and I can help them because it's again, it's like, you don't have to be great to get started. You do have to get started to be great. Yeah. It's a simple it, it, fact. Experience is invaluable. You can't and, so, and hopefully you don't have bad experiences, right? I don't yeah. wish that for yeah. anybody. Dude, we only learn from our bad experiences. Right. Yeah. Like I said, adversity has been my biggest teacher, but I just think that um, I think we just overthink things and we hinder ourselves. And I'm a big example of this. So, but when it comes to soils and gardens and stuff, that's why I love biomimicry and the simplicity it offers in a sense is like, well, it per biomimicry prevents you from unnecessary lessons. Exactly. Right. And it, that, it, 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 get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. It, that in fact turns into good experiences, <clears throat> but that being said, not all people can 
just instantly start biomimicry. Like, yeah, we have this channel. We have these platforms to try to help people. Sure. Uh, to find and unlock those things and prevent them from making, you know, catastrophic mistakes of being a moron or, or a less one in some cases, you know, people forget to water their plants and they die or they overwater them and they get rot. So, I mean, those are the easy lessons, but some of these more deeper lessons, um, that's where the experience, but the biomimicry really help in the experience because sure. you're less likely to, you're more likely to succeed than fail. And it, I mean, if you, he, he had that picture of me and the Aster up in the greenhouse. Yeah. I want to pull that back up, Ken. So it's funny. I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you what we're doing so you can all laugh at us. Uh, we're releasing ladybugs. This was the extent of my IPM because here's the thing I didn't really tell the overlying theme to this entire story. Um, uh, cause we, I, I didn't talk about the spider mites at the bud wash thing, but I'll, I'll revisit that in a little bit for just people that are going through this right now. Um, the whole, like I said, adversity to genius. Uh, it's taken me three years on this property to lock in hard as stone. I need to be available for biology in the summer. Like that's when things grow. That's when all the fruit is ripening and needs preserved. That's when your family needs to have TLC and they're on vacation from school or whatever. It's when it's when biology needs to take the front seat. Uh, it's when also spider might start working in your garden. If you're not working in your garden with either your, your Dr. Bronner's or whatever it is that you put in your garden or your beneficial insects. So I did none of that this year. I knew that I had hot spots uh, in the garden last year and guess what? They occurred in the same exact hot spots they were in the last year's garden. However, they occurred with much more veracity. Um, for the sake of lack of a rabbit hole, I'll skip the long story on the uh, specifications of my my swerve protocol. Um, but long story short, I've been really busy this year on projects, uh, putting underground power at the house, like putting just doing things that are not biology, right? It's been an insanely busy year, but I'm like watching the garden, like overgrow, watching the cover crop overgrow, watching yada, yada, uh, missing out on things my family's doing because I'm busy with something else. And so, um, anyway, I'm like, Oh gosh, these spider mites are going to kill me this year. I got to get, I, I got to get some beneficials. So I got on the phone, I got some beneficials, day late dollar short i knew this was still like it was like a rolling tidal wave that was still picking up momentum I'm like god they think they ate the beneficial thing you know <laughs> it doesn't happen but i'm just saying i'm like this is tsunami dude um so i bought something that became you know it was recommended from one of the stores um i don't really feel like name dropping it i'm just gonna say that if you guys want to reach out to me i'm happy to tell you my story but uh long story short i am not a spray guy and so I didn't feel good in my gut when I reached for this product after beneficials. I had ladybug, I mean, sorry, not ladybugs, praying mantids, um, which after talking to uh, a quote unquote bug expert, praying mantises are not necessarily beneficials as we all know, because really what they do is they kill pollinators. They're like ambush predators. Um, but in my greenhouse, I don't have pollinators. So I'm like, I don't know, fuck it. They're just cool bugs then in my greenhouse that occasionally eat ladybugs or something. I don't want them to necessarily eat. But um, anyway, the 
my spray protocol was not right in my heart, not right in my gut. And I went in there and I'm like, you know, it says do this for four days. And I'm like, so sure enough, the spider mites were gone by day four, no webbing, no nothing. But then also like day four, I couldn't find my, my praying mantids, um, which they were second generation. I had like captured them last year. That sounds bad, but like, I don't know. I feel like protected is a better word. They would have gotten eaten by something, a lizard or whatever, but put them in the greenhouse, let them, do their business, made egg sacs, watched them hatch, yada, yada. Uh, and basically I don't, I think this stuff killed my praying mantises. So my point being is like, I didn't let biology do its job. Also, I didn't do my job as a steward of biology because that should have been done earlier as, as IPM protocol, like I stated. Um, so you get what you pay for and you get what you get. Um, but you reap what you sow is what I'm getting at. And kind of, but I've reaped a lot more than cannabis, this garden, right? This garden is so much more than the cannabis. And my point that I'm trying to make is I have been the laziest cannabis grower I've been in years this year, unfortunately, not because I've been lazy. Like I said, I've been freaking busy, but I have been the whatever least involved in my cannabis garden this year. Right. So to speak. Um, I've, I basically put it, I threw my second trellis up over buds that were like, I think week three or four, who does that? Like me, cause they were going to get all over the place. Like they still are. Um, but I'm just like building the plane and flying it still. And that's why it's like, look, I can't do this year four. I know better, but what I'm, the point I'm long taking a long time to make is while I sucked as a gardener this year, my the biology, the system that I built, the investment and the time that I put in that bed has returned better cannabis than I've ever grown before. This bed too. So it's like, here you go, minus the spider mites. And I'll talk about that for a tiny bit, but like, um, this is my medicine. And also like, you're talking about, you know, quarter pound plant, you got 10 plants in there. Like do the math, man. I don't like to go to dispensaries, but the cheapest organic weed I can buy from a dispensary. I have to go stand in line on a deal day. And again, I, I don't go to dispose. I just know of these, um, go stand in line on the same day. Everyone's trying to go for the deal the buy one, get one deal, uh, is 140 bucks for an ounce. And I've bought one of those half ounces before. And it's just like these popcorn nugs. It is like, it looks like tumbled buds, organic, um, but they're using nectar for the gods, go figure, that I used to use and talk about. So it's just like, oh, fuck me, dude. <laughs> so here I am. I'm like, you know, you can't go to the dispensary and be like, yo, where's your wormweed? You know, there's no wormweed here, bro. What are you talking about? You guys have some horizon weed there? I'm like horizon weed? What the fuck? You know what I mean? So I prefer my cannabis. I'm yet, you know, to see or find others. And I'm not trying to be like that guy. I just love the biology and I see it in the flowers and I'm amazed by it is what I'm getting at. It's not me. It's hard to take credit at all for this because I didn't do shit this year. You know what I mean? The biology did all of it this year, uh, including the spider mites, which again, if, if you guys missed it, I'm not going to go at length about it, but I'm not throwing a quarter, a quarter pound of ganja away. I don't care if it takes me three hours to clean it. You know what I mean? Still do the math, man. Three hours, quarter pound. You're talking, you know what I mean? It's just like you're if you got that much ganja, then good for you. But I don't, and so uh I'm cleaning my stuff and then I wash it. But that process is manual. Um, 
again, it's like take your picture your cannabis plant, just uh, a, a spider web that's falling through the sky or a, a tissue or whatever, and it just kind of lays over your cannabis plant. It's not like the spiders in there weaving shit through, you know, that would be impossible. That's what mold does. And that's why you're like, you're fucked if you get mold, but spider webs, spider mites too. Cause I also have spider webs from normal spiders, um, not spider mites, but <clears throat> they encase the bud and the fan leaf. And like when it, it, it's almost funny to think that the worst infestations are the easiest to clean. Um, I showed this to my guest that we have currently in the Airbnb too, because we were talking about cannabis and I went in, I showed him, I'm like, yeah, look at it though. It just wipes right off. I, I got some on my finger and then I wiped a little more. The solution is in the problem. The, the webbing is sticky to itself, right? By nature, it has to be adhesive to itself. That's how they make the web. So you can take a toothpick, I guess, or something like, but I use really pointy tweezers that are like a toothpick. Um, and I just go under the fans and start kind of like wiping it off and like going in between some of the calyxes and like eventually you just kind of like remove this little shroud and then you wash your bud like normal. And then again, I, I scope them. And, uh, you know, the other thing is for the spider mite issue, I'm not worried about the spider mites. They are not going, there's nothing I could do to keep them on my plant. Once I cut it, there's chlorophyll that's leaving the plant. They want chlorophyll. They're like, Oh my God. There's no more chlorophyll. Let's go. I've done this more than one time. Like they go right to where you're, wherever you're drying at, that's where you're going to find them circling and dying because they don't know what to do. And there's no chlorophyll up there. So if you want to spray your stuff at, you know, whatever, I just let things die. I'll take my clips and set them out in the sun or whatever, but um, you're not going to smoke spider mites. It's just not, if you've got a nice 10, four day, 14 day to whatever hang, They've gone. They've left. They're like, there's nothing here. Uh, but what you don't want to smoke again is poop, roly polies. Those were on there, you know, other spiders, gnats, like spider web, whatever. It's just like, but again, look at the dust in the air. So that's all. I'm just devil's advocate, guys. Um, well, I think the point you were trying to make. <laughs> biology, biology's got you, man. Biology got you got back. Got you back, dude. It's yeah. easy to grow it's especially if you provide the biology with the tools that it needs in sand, silk, clay, and organic. Seriously. Yeah. No, and that, and that is it, man. You, you hammered it and, and it's never enough, but the sand, silk, and clay, that's it. It's like without that mining going on, you're wasting your money again. Cause that was the other thing with the mycorrhizae, but I know you've talked about that plenty too. And it's like, if you're just using potting soil and you're buying, you know, the right mycorrhizae or, you know, whatever, <laughs> you're wasting your money. There's nothing really for it to mine. Like it's, you know, so, um, I forgot what else I sent you, man. I'm sorry. I think we got, that's probably all the way through tech three, but I forget like help me. Oh yeah, dude. So thank you. This was, I sent this last week. We didn't get here though, but remember me telling you my beds are, are respirating or rather I had theories about my uh, compost toilet that shares the wall next door. I was like, dude, I'm at 900 parts per million in here. Um, and I'm at 300 outside, like just outside door ambient temp. So people that don't know, plants consume CO2 and they breathe out oxygen, right? Um, it's said, and I'm sure it may be said differently in other places, but other places I've read, it's said that, that photosynthesis is like apex at 1200 parts per million, which is why you have grow rooms and greenhouses like commercial facilities that 
enrich with CO2. Uh, and that sweet spot is 1,200 parts per million. Also, if you're going to enrich with CO2, apparently plants only eat CO2 when the lights are on. You're otherwise enriching your room when the lights are off. But again, I'm not a scientist. I'm just saying, so don't waste your money with CO2 with the lights off. Um, but that the exhale CO2 bags, when we talked about mushrooms breathing off, like I know they sequester and they sink carbon, but they, they like any other living thing, uh, not living thing, but any other, we all breathe out oxygen and breathe, or sorry, breathe out CO2 and breathe in oxygen. Um, so they're completing that cycle. And it's funny that day I had hung a bag with Frank, uh, an exhale CO2 bag is like one of the brands that they're those mushroom bags, you know, uh, cause they exhale CO2 and he had it down on the bottom by the floor. And I was like, well, actually you got it by a fan. It's, it's disturbing the CO2, but CO2 is laden typically. And so those bags come with a little hook and you're supposed to hang them above your light so that it's falling out over your garden um, and I'm not going to say a bunch about those bags. Like I've had good reviews. I've had people that have had uh, bad success with the, I think the packaging and presentation and stuff like that. It's a marketing thing like anything else, but the science is there. Um, and there's no other explanation to why that room would be at eight or 900 parts per million when literally two feet away outside of a door <laughs> is 300 parts per million. You know, it's just, that's amazing. I mean, that's crazy. Yep, so, and yeah, you see that that's my sweet spot. 70, 70, if I'm growing, uh, in veg for sure. But, um, versus like curing cannabis, 60, 60, that's what I've got the room set at right now, even though I'm growing cannabis in there and I'm on day 42. So it's like, I'm kind of experimenting again with that same genetic, right? I'm like, well, what can she take? Like, well, she seems to like cooler temps too. Um, so anyway, there's a mushroom with my strawberries and some other host plants that are, I'm sure, unknown what biology they're they're enticing. But and then right behind that, you see that cannabis stalk right behind the mushroom that's all dead and faded. The it's bleached out with black spots on it. It's yep, from last right, year. Right next to his cursor. Now, now you're on the pipe. Go to your left. Yeah, yeah, that's last year's cannabis stalk right there. The dead thing. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and I went with clones all last year too. So it's like, I can tell that the beds are getting better and doing maturation, not only through watching the same cultivar, like literally the same chemovar clone. Um, but just, you know, my experience as a cultivator too, and watching the plants, like it's just, it's, it's amazing. I've never ever had a system that I've come by that has this level of robustness and buffering that allows me to go on vacation, frankly, um, unless I'm, you know, watering one gallon bottomless pots and I'm going to figure that part out. That was just new in my rotation this year. And so every time we, you know, add something new, we have some learning curves, but, um, but no, I'm, I, that's what I meant. And th that's the point I meant is like, look, um, if you go back to the bud picture, Ken, that bud folder, I just want to, I mean, we all love bud, right? <laughs> the, the proof is in the pudding and I've been my own cultivator for years. I wouldn't, I would not steer you down a path that's going to lead you down poor quality or poor quantity importantly. Cause I smoke, I'm not, I'm ashamed to say this, but I smoke a half ounce a week and, and sometimes more. 
uh sometimes double that it just depends on what i've got i smoke a lot um that's that double og chem mother that's the mother that almost at harvest but so you know the proof is there man it's right there a beautiful room full of flowers and all i'm doing is biomimicry and in my case it, it has a lot to do with the worms it really does um but I think it has equally amount to do with the horizons that I have. But look at that. Like, I didn't do nothing this year, man. You see that? I'm going to be in trim jail, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all right with me. Um, so anyway, it is. It's all about the biology, you guys. I swear it. But but I don't want to overshoot, like you said, the, the soil structure and getting that pinned down. Because it did take me some time to... Well, the, 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 the added step that, again, I wouldn't have wanted it to hinder my process would have been testing beforehand, like getting a chemistry test on the A-Horizon. But I did jar test my A-Horizon that I gave and mixed up for Frank. So I know that we're at our very close to ideal levels as much as I can eyeball in a jar, right, of that. Uh, I think we want to be at 17% clay, 50% sand. Uh, was it 20% silt maybe or whatever no, that 13 silt 20 organic there you go thank you 13 silt 20 organic and so I we're shooting for that in that a horizon right uh, but I don't want to oversimplify because you would say that it's all about the biology but what's going on there necess isn't necessarily biology it's more of that you know geochemical like Lake Layton saying you've got electric or negatively charged electrons in the clay um, and some with the silt and I guess, you know, but, but it's more of like the, it's the activity center for the mycorrhizae and the, you know what I mean? So it's like thinking about it, you can't have it there. You can't say it's all about the biology, but take away its food and, and some shelter even. Right. So and again, there's, there's miners, right. Uh, bacteria that mine minerals out of the sand, silt and clay. And those can't set up shop on organic so even if you had like if you have straight you know cocoa or peat or any of the other ones and you throw you know a complex uh, inoculant like fish brew you're only going to get the benefits of a very small portion of it because the other sure. ones don't sure. have anything to work off of yet. Right. So that's that's again goes back to the understanding of why it's important to add sand salt clay to the organic matter if you are in you know a tent in, in you know right traditional and soil. And the diverse sand, silt, and clay, like you always say, the, you know, diversity and shape and size and also color and origin, because while we would, while we can test, we can test to infinity and beyond and still not have our ass from a hole in the ground. Like, that's just it, right? But we know that this works, even if we don't know why it works. Um, we also know when it doesn't work, right? We figure it quickly when it's like, oh, something's not working. We've, we've kind of gotten some of that figured out, but um I think, yeah, the diversity is key because we don't know what all those pieces are, man. So yeah, true. Po, we love Poe. Yeah, Lil, he's ready for his walk already. Look at him. He's looking is at he's, me. Come on, man. Let's, let's right? go. It's only got uh, 10 more minutes, Poe, and we'll go. What else, yeah, what else do we have in there? Because uh, that was, I know that was all the stuff I really wanted to hammer out was like the tech and just kind of like, you know, getting people to think adversity to genius. Don't just throw stuff out because someone else says to or whatever. It's like, um, we did the double OG Kim. We did Frank's two. Uh, we did Frank's two. Oh, I can you do Frank's so. two? This was from today. There's only two pictures, I think, in there, maybe. 
So this is from today, uh, 64 days from construction. Oh, wrong uh, one. Hold on. Yeah. Oops. It's all good. There we go. So he's on day 26 in flower right now. And what is the cultivar? So unfortunately, the goofy thing you see going on in there is we've got four different cultivars, which, you know, for those of you that grow canopy management, that went out the window. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We got, we got Dave, we call it Dave's Mendo because one of his buddies, that's the tall one way in the back there. The shorty one in the front, here's a skunk V2 mix. And then the other caddy corners are a savage Mendo cross that I gave him um, from my avocado tech. So it's got by in endophytic bacteria and biology in it from my avocado from my four by two bed. So there's that, I guess. But, you know, it's just, again, it's amazing. I'm like, you know, it looks like day 26 in flower. I'm not saying those look like more extraordinary, but those leaves. And again, it's just, this is cycle one, 64 days from seed, you guys. What? So I got to love it, man. It's just amazing. Well, it, it goes to show that with a little guidance, some hard work, that pretty much anybody can do this. And, and with this method that you get some buffering, so it makes it more enjoyable and less stressful to get through it. Indeed. And I do want to say thank you to Frank because I know he, he watched uh, the last week one too. And I do say thank you to him because he knows he's in one hand a little bit of a guinea pig on the 20 gallons. But like we want to, you know, I thank him for like, look, if if these don't do exactly what we want to do, you have a greenhouse coming up. We're going to need to put stuff in there too, right? Like ship those in there and let's talk about totes or let's talk about – um, but at least this way we get to see, right? How big and small can we play this? Because you've seen my three gallon soil horizons. I'm like, I know the horizons work in that such a small pot. Does the whole no-till biology, like how small can we shrink that down? Right. I guess is kind of the, I'm curious to play with it. Just think, like, think about, think about microscopes. Right. Right. One, one drop of water. Yeah. Right. That's, that's how small you can go. So there you go, man. There you go. Like four inch pot, man. Layer that shit. I actually have a client uh, right now that's that's doing um, starter trays with that. In horizons? Yeah, just a sprinkle of sand. I mix them up the A horizon. I think it's valid. I really do, man. Yeah, and uh, I get some screen compost to put on top. Can, so we'll can, see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, the experiment is actually not about horizon. It's actually about um, this particular plant. Uh, very, oh. very, very unique plant. It has proteal roots. So these roots that come out of the side that are very, very fine, they stay within the top inch or so of soil. Then they have deep tap roots. Then they have lateral roots. Then they have feeder roots. Very, very complex plant. So I had to mix up a bunch of different formulas so that we can see which one this particular plant likes. Um, but I did it in a manner that it was kind of mimicking of the horizontal because if this plant needs it, it has all these different levels of roots. Sure, sure. Is so, that the well, one that was a prehistoric or something you said? It was endangered Proteus, or something? Proteus, yeah. Well, they're not in danger. They're hardly. I mean, these, this plant is 300 million years old. Oh, it's it, not. It's it, okay, gotcha. I got gotcha. you. It's, it's, it's just prehistoric. Prehistoric. Yeah, it survived the breakup of Pangaea. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's in Argentina, Australia, South America, wow. New Zealand. 
so it spread with the with the continent. So right anything, anything that can live through that's pretty fucking badass. Yeah, and worth the worthy of a study. Yeah, right. So anyway, uh, did I just uh, if there? I don't think there was anything else I missed. But can you pull that up one more time, just so I can sleep good tonight? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I but I think we hammered on, it all, man. I I think we look, hammered look how it. looking at me. Look he's at ready, me. man. Yeah, he's working me he's hard. Like you ready. Yeah, we did all the bud. We did our tech. We did. Yeah, no, that was it. So, I mean, I hope everybody feels good because, like, I I wanted to simplify it. And, I mean, you know, I'm old school like that as, like, here's some pictures that I've got that I know, like, I take these as I'm walking and stumbling around that I'm like, oh, this is validating, like, what we're always talking about. And so, um, you know, thank 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 goodness to Frank and, and Brett. He's another um, guy that's kind of – taken under my wing he's he's went on a pause or whatever but he's coming tomorrow to actually do my reed removal on the creek like where it's it's our final push it'll be amazing but um so anyway really thankful and and just as busy as i've been it's like it's this system and those little pieces of tech i shared the grove bag the living soil pots the beds the blue mats um the horizons and the worms like that is what allows me to be a dad that is busy as heck um, because otherwise I'd be, I'd be throwing up my hands and not growing good cannabis and not supporting, you know, I shouldn't smoke that much, but also it's like, I'm just busy and that's my crutch. And so when I start medicating better and more responsibly, we'll talk about that. But it's like, for right <laughs> now, I've got a habit to support and like, you know, here's what I got to do. Cut and run. Let's go. <laughs> So, but I really appreciate you guys being um, hosts for me to be able to share this. And like, you know, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm testifying what you're always talking about, but that's it. I want to show people and, and I love the looks that people get when they see the, the bud in front of their face. And they're like, what do you mean there's sand and gravel? I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, and, or like, you tell them about blue mats and they're like, so the plants water themselves? I'm like, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you, bro, there's nothing like it, man. So um, I think anyway. it's for the soil waters itself. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, however, but I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to explode their head, you know. <laughs> Too much information. Too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. It was like, so, well, but no, seriously, infinite thanks, y'all. Poe, I appreciate you. I know you got to go, man. Yeah, no, and I was just going to say, I appreciate you coming on and sharing all of this. Yes. You know, your journey and, and what you've been through. And I think that's a great testimony on on the fact that you can give people confidence in growing cannabis that they don't have to babysit it 24-7, 365. They can, right. If they've got the system up and running, then it will provide some buffer for them so that when they do get busy and forget to do their IPM, that there's still a way that they'll survive the outbreak. And I think exactly. that's really the, the most important message. Because, yeah, you might have just said it. I've never grown cannabis that I believe is even getting close to genetic potential that was not a butt ton of work otherwise. Mm -hmm. You can't grow great cannabis being lazy under traditional methods. And I would say that what we're talking about is really traditional method. But like, you know, um, modern school methods, you have to be on your game and on your watering and on your your PN, your your pH exactness and you can't screw around, man. So it's just like, 
I don't want to live that life anymore. I'm too busy for that. And I don't. And, and, and when you screw up, your cannabis shows you you screwed up. And guess what? You're still going to harvest with that shit. There is no buffering. So, dude, it's it's to me, it's 10 new. It's 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 all or nothing this way. I'm just like, it's like mulch or no mulch. I'm like, dude, don't get me going, bro. You know, so, uh, but no, I mean, yeah, infinite thanks to you for showing me the way and being so generous with your time all the time, too, because, uh, you know, that's yeah, I, I needed it. So thank you. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. And Ken, as always, thank you, brother. For yeah, all Ken, the you're the man, bro. The scenes. You know, I don't think anybody really understands how much and how hard you work at this. You provide this platform for people to have the opportunity to learn more. So thank you. If they don't tell you, I will. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And and the craziest thing, Leighton, and, and you have to understand this, everybody, is I one of the reasons I started the platform was so that I could reach out to these scientists on the cutting edge and have a chance to really listen to them. Right? You guys are my Smart experts. Move, so thank you. Smart move. <laughs> hey, man. Wait, no. Hey. But all it about takes, me, right? <laughs> it takes a community, bro. You have invest. We all have invested interests, man. And you but I can I can't hardly work a damn computer. I barely remembered to charge it before this. So, thank you, <laughs> seriously, man. Because dead in the water without you, bro. We're just a bunch of people out here with our plants. Otherwise, so thank you, bro. So, Ken, did you have any announcements you wanted to make for this upcoming week? I'm just uh, myself and Andy on on Wednesday. Uh, and then we've got uh, Heston Alcorn from Alcorn Farms with the ladies on Thursday. Um, and then it's uh, hopefully Thursday. If things go well, I'll be starting the, the uh, R&D Grow Show uh, on this channel on Thursday. I'm just about done on my electrical. And then I got to plumb in uh, uh, all my cabling for the internet. And then uh, I've got the 38 plants here now wow. and, uh, 38 plants 38 different strains is that a legal number ken oh yeah i i, I my medical grow i'm good for over, almost 150 plants wow whoa that's cool dude yeah. so 38 different what? cultivars are you crazy yeah no right you're gonna be busy brother uh, talk to my partner we're we're growing uh probably more than half in um hydro because he's a hydro guy Okay. Uh, using uh, biology, though, not salts. And then I'm going to start showing people a different uh, methodologies of soil, um, how to start with basically dead soil and work up. Um, I'm going to be having lots of fun, and I'll be relying on guys like Leighton to go, okay, Ken, try this experiment. Okay, so, you know. Well, you know I'm here when you need me, brother. And uh, you are a blessing to so many, Leighton. Thank you for doing what you do for all of us. Well, my pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. Well, speaking of which, my partner should be here in the next 10 minutes. So I got to run out to the grow, guys. So we'll see you guys on Wednesday. Peace all out, right. everybody. Take care. Thanks, Ken.